It is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. And so um, we'd be able to take, I've got that all wrong, 772-260. I'm here trying to turn knobs, Gary, and talk. This isn't working too well. 772-260-6120 is my number. Gary's number is 772-260-6220. Just a little bit different. 772-260-6220 is his text number. And uh, I think we got a text message or two um, uh, that's already come through this morning. And we'll try to go those in, in just a second here uh, on the show. This show is about New Testament Christianity. It's about obeying just the New Testament, getting past human traditions, man-made traditions, and other things that that people put forward as religious dogma and teaching and things that they follow. And so uh, when you ask a question, we'll talk about the question in the context that you gave it, but in, in the long run, our idea our our purpose is to is to uh, encourage following the New Testament, New Testament Christianity, recreating the New Testament church from the first century here in the 21st century. And so we're so we're going to point the answer to that that direction. A young man, uh, Gary, I, this is completely off the show. I met him. I knew his 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 uncle. Uh, he's a grown man now, but I knew his uncle when, before he passed away. And uh, I guess he knew that I was a preacher. He texts me the other day and says, I have a theological question for you. And it was something about, uh, you know, the Baptist church and Calvinism and so forth. So I gave him a I gave him a historical answer, as it were, the best I knew. But I said, what really what I said, the approach I think you should take or that I would take is one to say, what does the. New Testament say about that question or those issues? Well, you know, funny, I didn't know what he would say to that, but he agreed with that that approach, approach. which is a gr- good thing. And that's where we are today. So I can we can talk about historically what different religious groups believe and try to represent their views as accurately as we know how to. But in the end, what we're, we're trying to do, rather than promote historic Christianity, by that I mean the all the councils and synods and different groups of men and different theologians. What does the Bible say? Can you read the text? When Jesus was asked various questions, and we've mentioned this before, but when Jesus was asked various questions during his lifetime, he often asked three or four times, he says, well, how do you read it? How readest thou? Well, what does the law say? He'll, he would ask them. Or so have you, he expected have you these people to, to know, understand what the Bible said, the Old Testament at that time, and to apply it. And we can do the same thing today. It's not some kind of magical thing that you're doing. I've, uh, I've, I've come to conclusion when I read how many times Jesus said, have you not read? Right. Have you not read? And, 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 and he is trying to get it, trying to point us in the same direction that, that we're trying to point you people in today, I think. What does the text say? And so when we answer the, I was going to talk uh, either in a sermon here soon, maybe we can talk about it this morning a little bit, this issue that's come up in churches about whether there should be women pastors, as it were, or not, uh, teachers. Um, they want to go back and look at what the Baptist church has historically taught and all that kind of thing, or what the Southern Baptist Convention believes. 
and whether Andy Stanley or whether the Saddleback Church out in California is, is following the, the Baptist Convention, I, I'm much more concerned whether the Saddleback Church is following what Paul says to do about it. You see, that's really the issue that should be in front of us. And so um, uh, that's that's where we are. And that's how we we approach this show. And I hope that well, I hope that it's beneficial to people that listen and, and encouraging and enlightening to them. And I believe that in the long run, it is uh, whether you like what we say about it. Uh, OK, we can discuss that. But the real question you should always ask yourself when some issue comes up in, in, in a conversation or in your church or something is, well, what does the Bible say? And go back and do a plain reading of the Bible text, the best ones that you know. Keep searching for those and try prayerfully to consider what what is really th- being said here. And don't be afraid to say, well, my church is wrong about that. You know, what I be- have believed in the past is wrong about that. It needs to be change and follow that path this is how you restore new testament christianity or recreate new testament christianity here in the 21st century that's the process and this works gary not only with church matters what we might call doctrinal matters but it's also very important to do in personal matters matters of morality and values that you have don't go on what your family taught you or what your what your society believes but base it on what the bible says about that matter well a passage uh, we've read we've read often here john 12 48 jesus says he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him the word that i have spoken will judge him in the last day yes that's the basis for what we're doing i was also going to say that that phrase have you not read uh, in the New King James, I found five uses of it by yes. Jesus. And, and that's Jesus asking them, well, what, what does the text say from the right. Old Testament about that? That's how they were supposed to determine what they were going to believe and practice. So our question is always not, what did the Nicene Convent, uh, you know, Council believe about it? What did Martin Luther believe about it? What's the historic position of the Baptist Church about it? Although that may be interesting academically or maybe in some ways enlightening, but it doesn't tell you what you, you ought to be doing. It doesn't tell you necessarily what you're going to be judged by on the last day. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Now, when we look at, um, I've got a, uh, I've got a, a well, oh, I see, sorry, Gary, I'm looking at two things at once. I see we have a caller and then we have a text message we want to get to. So okay. uh, let's take the caller first. Are you there, Jerry? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, very briefly, I, I was uh, I was first wondering: uh, Was Timothy uh, requested to be uh, martyred uh, upside down because he said he he didn't deserve to uh, a martyr or crucified uh, the same way Christ was? And so I'm uh, simply wondering. Uh, like Mussolini, he was hung upside down. And yeah. I don't know if you could go uh, quickly verify that, that he uh, he was crucified upside down. And uh, if you will have time, I was wondering, uh, both Sir Isaac Newton and uh, Thomas Jefferson, Marshall Thomas Jefferson, 
uh, or try to figure out the mysteries of the Bible mathematically. And I'll go forward if you could possibly expound on that. And uh, and that's about it for uh, for today, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. I'm also interested in whether Timothy was marveled upside down. Okay. About it. And thank you for taking my call, Mike. I appreciate that, uh, Jerry. Thanks for calling in. Uh, now, I off the top, of, I'm going to look this up while we're talking, but off the top of my head, I've not really ever heard that Timothy was crucified upside down. Well, I've heard the, that Peter the legend is that was Peter crucified is. upside down. Peter had been, but basically it's all legend, Mike. I have never found any historical evidence of any kind that you could, uh, for lack of a better term, hang your hat on to say right. that that actually happened. But, well, now this question goes right back to how we introduce the show and how we introduce a lot of our shows is a question of, what people often believe or what is often said in churches. Uh, either this, is it the same or different than what the Bible says? So there is simply no information at all about how Peter died as far as the method that he died. Uh, tradition, and some of these go back quite a ways, say that he was crucified and that he requested to be crucified on an inverted cross so that he wouldn't, since he had denied the Lord, it's, it's often said, he didn't consider himself worthy to be put to death the same way that Jesus was put to death. I, I seriously doubt that the Romans are going to honor that request. In fact, that, that it may be that since he requested it, they'd be sure that they didn't do it that way. Uh, you know, I'm trying to get at that they would say, yeah. well, yeah, sure, you want well, to be that way, but we're going to do it. The other, the the other thing way. I'd like to say is, well, these, these, this type of information is interesting to us. It's not really, if it was not included in the scripture, God didn't really think it that important that we should understand or know about it. Uh, I, I keep coming back to Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, uh, and this gets us back to Timothy, by the way. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right. If it's not included in scripture, it's not something God saw as something that we needed to be complete about. Right. And, and now, that's that's the only thing I'm... That, yeah, so it's, just it's, fine, it's, fine to, it's fine to have curiosity about it, but... You know, and and I think you could, you could have an opinion about all those matters, right? But I, I'm going to say off the top of my head, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am, that the only apostle that we know how they were put to death was James. In Acts chapter 12, oh, he was right. put to death by Herod, uh, by the sword. He was either beheaded or stabbed in some way, probably a beheading, by a sword. They didn't use axes at that time very often for beheadings. But we don't know. It was, didn't say he was beheaded. He was killed by the sword by Herod. And this caused a great fear to go out through that, throughout the church. Yeah, if I'm correct, uh, I maybe actually chapter that's five. not the James that wrote the book. No, James. it's not. This is the right. Apostle James, uh, the brother of Peter. And then he, then he went after Peter. Or maybe it was. I have to look it up here. I it may be chapter well, he imprisoned 12, Peter because about that in time. chapter 12, Peter was imprisoned. He wanted yeah. to kill Peter, too. 
put him in prison, but then the angel released Peter and so forth. Now, we know that James, one of the apostles, was put to death. This was, a, this was a sea change. This was a real big change that the authorities actually grabbed one of the apostles of Jesus and killed him. There had been some persecution up till then, but now we have actually putting him to death. So the apostles, the disciples, are very afraid. As far as the other apostles, we just don't have any information. Tradition says that all of them except John were intentionally put to death although we don't have any biblical record of such, that, that John died yeah. in exile or maybe after he was released from exile. We don't even know how Paul was put to death, although tradition says that he was put to death in Rome about the year 67 or 68 A.D. We, once again, we don't really know. That legend came along much later. Now, we do have, Gary, a little biblical information about Peter's death, but it's not... It's but not it, the question that Jerry asked. It's, it's, it's in John 21. A, yeah, it's basically a, pro, it's basically a, a prophecy, prophecy, and right. it's pretty vague. He says he's going to be bound and taken wherever, where he didn't want to go. Well, yeah. And, and uh, the implication behind that. Well, it says another one's, it says, I don't know about the binding part, but you could maybe get that. But when, it's at that incident on the beach there where after John, after Peter has denied the Lord three times and after his resurrection, he meets Peter and the disciples, and they're fishing, and he performs a miracle, and they realize it's Jesus. Well, they come up to the shore, and they have this breakfast, and that's when Jesus asked Peter three times, Simon, do you love me? Peter answers him each time, and he said, well, you know I love you, yeah. and then Jesus would say to him, feed my sheep. Well, then verse uh, 18 of John 21 he says, most assuredly, Jesus says this to Peter, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and, and carry, carry you where you do not wish. And thus he spoke, this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, I take a couple of things from that. Number one, Peter was going to get old. Yes. He wasn't going to die soon. Right after this, he was going to live. He wasn't going to be like James, be put to death soon. And that he was going to be uh, incapacitated in some way. Maybe I got the impression whenever I've read this, he's going to be incapacitated by old age. That when you're young, you get up and get yourself dressed, go where you want. But when you get old... You can't do this, and so other people dress you and take you where they want. Now, uh, perhaps you're right. Perhaps this is a prophecy. They're going to bind him. Well, the definition, the definition he, of that Greek word that's used there, shall gird, is to bind about. Well, yes, but, uh, but of course, when they, when they uh, put on their clothing, they put on a girdle. Right, but he says, you'll hold binding. out your hands. Yeah. Kind of implies that. Uh, that's yeah. where some of the sources I've got come from. You'll stretch out your hands. No, the yeah bind you or gird you. I never heard it translated bind, but I've always heard it translated. That, but anyway, in, this may Strong's be it, but that's the, only, uh, that's the only um, Bible reference. Is that a reference to crucifixion? Well, it's, it could be, uh, but it's rather vague in that sense, uh, rather vague. And it certainly doesn't imply being crucified upside down. 
I don't, I'm not even sure how an upside down crucifixion would work well. Crucifixion is a death that doesn't kill you because you get nails driven into your hands or arms or bleeding. It's a cruci- it's a death that kills you by suffocation, suffocation. because you're hanging and your your uh, rib cage can't expand. You can't draw in air, and so you slowly suffocate. Well, depending on depending so on your age, it puts a lot of pressure on the heart cavity. If yeah, you're upside you're down, up so the, yeah, your heart can't beat, your lungs can't ex- can't expand. Now Mussolini was already dead when he was hung upside down. Yeah, uh, I read by piano wire they hung him upside down, kind of like you would a butchered animal. It was hanging upside down was more uh, uh, use it as far as uh, humiliation, like that, you would a slaughtered animal. I went a little bit further into that Greek word. Uh, basically, it comes from basically an idea to bind with a belt. Uh, it says with a belt. Well, that's and that's why they use it to gird or to dress yeah. something. Um, like you, you put a you put a belt on your body. You know, you yeah. wrap yourself up in a cloth. We we don't call it girding. We use a belt to hold our pants up. Yeah. They they used a belt. They would wrap it around their around their loins and stuff and bind themselves up so they could work. We see that reference even about Peter when he was working on the boat and he took off his outer cloak and 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 then his was left just with his loincloth or his girdle, as we would call it. But it's a very vague prophecy. Yeah. And good. so, once again, I would I would just simply urge you to say, what does the Bible say about that? And then don't go in your teaching beyond what the Bible does. And if you do go past that and say, well, I think it was speaking of crucifixion, you can think that, but be careful that as you teach others, you don't tell them that the Bible says it's crucifixion. And particularly, you don't have a tradition that the Bible says that Peter was crucified upside down. So in any event, that's how I would approach the subject that you, you should, uh, you know, it's it, because of human nature. The one reason, well, why are you like that, Mike? Why are you like that, Gary? <laughs> well, because human nature Whatever is true in one generation, it's often exaggeratedly true in the next generation, and it just gets worse and worse over time, and finally you lose track of what really is true. The purpose of this show, and we want to encourage you in this regard, is to keep going back to what we know is true, which is what's found in the text, yeah, in the, the scripture, the, and hold on to that. If you want to believe something different or you think you think you can put two and two together, make something different, okay, hold on to that. Hold on to it loosely and tell others that you're holding on to it loosely. Make sure they understand rather than it, it, rather than create a whole new tradition about something the Bible doesn't say at it, all. It's interesting to me that those legends, as they go, can, at least in my view, Mike, they, they tend to become scripture in people's minds. That's one of the real problems with it. Uh, you know, Jesus criticized the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 15 you know, they said, why do, you, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands uh, when they eat? And then Jesus you know, goes into, you're actually putting your traditions, what, what amounts to legends or whatever, in, in before God. He says, you're, you're doing this wrong. That's human nature again. That, that's, that's why you end, up putting, you end up putting your choices, your traditions, Jesus. they supersede God's. Uh, word, and then you 
don't go back to the word to find out what it is. Oh, we have another phone call, so we'll leave this question alone unless well, the caller well, wants to comment on it. You got something well, else, Gary? Well, I was just going to say, uh, some of the things I've read about Sir Isaac Newton says he might have been at least on the road to trying to be uh, what we might call a restoration teacher, but he went astray with it after a while. But he did use that to begin some of his investigations. Uh, yes. He had the right idea. Modern that. science and the investigative process is a is a biblically-based Western civilization thing. It's not based upon secular beliefs. And he wrote it's some, not based on atheism. Some. It's based on the Bible yeah. and that God made an orderly world that we could figure out what it is and the and human he, mind can understand. He wrote it. some of these things about what he thought about Scripture, but people don't read them and they're not they're not well defined or it's they're kind of hard to find. Right. And and so that that's more or less what I was going to say. We can come back to that in just a moment. Uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, Laura, are you there? Yes. Good morning, Mike and Gary. How are you? Good morning. Less than highly favored is good to be the daughter of a king. Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. I was just listening, and uh, Jerry always touches on some amazing subject, you know, and um, I don't know, sometimes I think our own preconceptions of how other people perceive things make us wrong, okay, because just because some people have learned about the great, the so great a cloud of witnesses such as the disciples and the faithful ones that have gone before us, it doesn't necessarily turn into biblical teaching. It's just some churches and Bible studies teach us about the great so cloud, the great cloud of witnesses that are given in Hebrews, which is Abraham, Moses, our faithful grandparents or anybody who's gone before, and Elijah, and Peter, and Paul, and Timothy, as far as my understanding goes. Because the Bible, to me, is pretty black and white only because the Holy Spirit reveals these things to me as I'm able to understand them. But I agree with the late, great Billy Graham for all that I've read and learned there's still so much, and I barely scratched the surface. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I think the the, uh, the great cloud of witnesses that you uh, refer to from Hebrews 12 is the all the saints and other people, and he lists a lot of them there in chapter 11, and then refers to them as a cloud of witnesses that are watching us, as it were, run the race. Our characters from the Bible, from the Old Testament, from that period of time that we know about. I don't put into that category all of the so-called saints of the Roman Catholic Church and all the, uh, and so many of the church fathers that contradicted one another and even contradicted the Bible. I'm not putting I'm not going to put personally those people into that cloud of witnesses. That cloud of witnesses are found in the Old Testament. And I 100% mean believe what the Bible says about that. But I think I think when you start adding in all the other people that come have come along since that time, uh, 
What we're saying is you need to be more cautious about their example and compare that example to what the scriptures say. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul warns them not to think above men, think about men above that which is written of them. And I think he was even talking about the apostles there, that we should treat them as the scriptures treat them. For example, when we uh, begin to make the apostles even something that they weren't, as if they were divine beings to be worshipped, now we've gone beyond even what the Bible says about those men. So, you know, it's a it's a cautionary tale, but are those people's faith, and, and I'll, Laura, I, I don't disagree at all in this sense. The faith of my grandmother, for example, and other people have encouraged, has encouraged me all throughout my life, but I'm not going to lift her up as if she's something different than what she was, which was an ordinary Christian woman as a, as a, a follower of Christ. I'm not going to lift her up to the level of the word of God and what she says up to that level as that to the word of God. And that's what's happened over time with these so-called saints. Uh, and, and we need to be cautious about that. I don't know that that's what you're saying, but um, I know that we do have this great cloud of witnesses. Right. No, no, you are, you know, you were fairly correct. You know, and the Bible also tells us that we're going to be judged by every word that comes out of our mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's always something to be aware of. And if nobody picks up that Bible and learns it and meditates on it and studies it, with the Holy Spirit teaching them, they're only going to ever learn the basics. None of us ever know. Now, can we know what we need to know to do what God wants us to do? And the answer to that is yes. We're not left in the dark and we and not having any direction. Just because we don't know everything doesn't mean we don't know something. And my ex and my encouragement. I think in the same direction as you is, okay, so we need, if we're only going to be able to learn some things, then let's make those some things from the text of the Bible and not something else, because we all have limited capacities. And as you say, when we read the, when we read the text of Scripture and meditate upon it, we're actually accessing the Holy Spirit who who is given this word to us, and uh, we need to keep it, keep that ever before us and know what it says. And Jesus said the same thing about the Old Testament, that it was inspired of God, and that's why he kept asking the people, have you not read, what did Mo or what did Moses say? You know, so uh, he he was doing the same thing in his lifetime. And, and he wasn't there in every case to explain it to them, nor did he, nor did I think he explained it in detail to them at the time. And either. the thing about it is, is that when you read what Jesus says about some of those texts, it would take quite a bit of meditation and thought to get that out of what you read from the Old Testament, or even even the way the Old Testament's used by New Testament writers like Matthew. It's not always very apparent. Or you would have to compare uh, several different Old Testament right. texts so it, to get that out of what he's quoting. It takes uh, it takes a lot to get it, and so it behooves us to spend spend time in the Word every day. And I appreciate the fact I 
that you do that, Laura. I think from what you told me, what you said before, that you're one of those people that spends a lot of time in the Word, and I appreciate that. I, I couldn't live without it, and I'm constantly searching it for. It has such treasures. This is how I describe it to people. Life is an open book text, and that Bible is your book. <laughs> yeah. They're always the hardest tests, by the way. When I when I was a teacher, gave open book tests. It requires us to trust, which is why we'll never know everything. If we knew it all, we would never have to trust God and take leaps of faith. Well, we have to. The trusting God is based upon what He has already done and what He's already revealed. It isn't a blind faith. It's a faith based on what we know that he already has done and said. And then we can trust what we what we can't see or understand based upon what we've already seen and understood and and know about him. But you're right. It requires that. And so the more that you can see from the word that God keeps his word and does what he says and means what he says, then you have confidence in those things that you don't understand completely. Because we, we will never understand some things completely because God hasn't explained them completely on purpose. It isn't an accident. He, doesn't, he didn't desire to explain them. Uh, the Bible is very clear in the very chapter that we're reading, or the one before that in John 20. He's very clear there that he only recorded a few of the miracles that Jesus did. But these, that he, these he recorded were written, he says, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. So he says of all the things Jesus wrote, and he said the whole world wouldn't even hold the books that should be written about Jesus and his miracles. He, he said these have been written that you could believe. So God gave us what we need to know to believe that he's God's son and we can have life in his name. But he didn't tell us everything about Jesus in his life and what it means and all that. And so we have to be content with that part of it. Leave it what it is. And Tim and 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 I believe um, Timothy says that when it's written, godliness with contentment is great gain. I believe it's first. Mm-hmm. First Timothy six. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so you you uh, he's talking there about trying to strive for comfort from material things, and we need to be content with what God gave us, and that is true about the word also. Now, for example, Laura, you've heard us, maybe you've heard us talk on this show, if you've listened uh, a few times about this concept of people call in about what they call the Trinity, God in being three. And you've heard Gary and I both express that we know some things about that, but we certainly don't know everything about that, nor do we know everything we might want to know about it. But we're going to be content with what he does say and not try to invent doctrines that he doesn't say. And that's the problem. People go and they go one direction or the other. And that's the real temptation. And that real temptation is to then invent stuff that's not there, and you get in trouble about that. You know, if someone just texted in, um, only Luke, John did, only Luke tells us anything about Jesus' childhood. Yeah, so the four Gospels. And we know really very little about Jesus' childhood. And we know nothing about the time that passed between the time he was 12 and 30, those 18 years or whatever it is there. We don't know anything about that. And people have written books about it based on nothing. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. 
Those are th- and those become then tradition. Humanity from twelve to thirty would basically know why they're written about. We have no information, and so people have written books, and they become traditions, and people. People then tell you what Jesus was doing when he was this and that age and that age. They make up stories about him uh, uh, blinding little children because they took away his toys or they did this or that. And and it's all made up. No one knows. No one knows. Well, going back to the book of Luke. Uh Uh-huh. It's one of the best gospel interpretations I believe ever written. I really like the book of Luke because it, he tells you in the verse one that he set out to examine all these historical sources and other witnesses, and he's going to tell the story in chronological order. So when you look from at Luke and Acts, and the manuscripts basically make Luke and Acts one book that's divided into two parts, and and they are in chronological order, which is different than the other gospels. So it's helpful to us in modern times for that reason, because we read history chronologically. Matthew and Mark and John are not that way. They have other reasons for being organized the way they were. But Luke is more chronological. That's correct about that. And it's why it's interesting. I like the book of John, too. It's so different than the others. And yet I was looking back, Laura, at some of my notes over the years preaching sermons for 48 years, however long it's been now, I probably have quoted more out of Matthew than any other of the Gospels, strangely enough, and still do for some reason. I I don't know why that is. Well, Matthew is a little bit more uh, criticism of the scribes and Pharisees and getting away from the doctrine that they were supposed to be Could be, that's right. But Uh, uh, I don't know why it is, but I have a lot of references in my notes to Matthew. Matthew and Mark do that more than the other Gospels, or at least that's what it seems to me. Laura, do you you read your Bible out of a physical Bible, or do you read it out of a phone or a tablet or something? It depends what I'm doing. I have many translations in my house. And for the ones I don't like in a Lenten study I'm doing now, because there's just something in my generation that I need to preach. <laughs> well, uh, I'm I'm partial to physical so, books. I didn't hear the last thing you said. I have to. I, I like feeling those pages turn. I learned how to read with my finger so I don't lose my place. <laughs> but I like following along and just getting immersed in the pages they go. Well, if you were to say Luke 18:15 my mind is going to a certain place on a page in, in my Bible, and I don't even use that Bible anymore. I use a, a newer, a new translation, but it's confusing in that regard, but you're, you're right. Now, here's the reason I ask you that, because an old guy, an old teacher years ago picked up my Bible and, and, and turned it on its edge, where you can just see the closed it, turned it on its edge, and looked at it, and he said, yeah, he says this is pretty normal Bible. He said, I see a lot of those pages on the edges are worn and dirty. And there's other sections of this book where they're pristine and white, you know, haven't been touched. You can tell what and you he said. Reading. So you, you can tell Mike So open up one of those ones that's dirty, opened up, you know, it was in the Gospels or in Paul's epistles. Close it. He said, now open up one of those that's white. Well, it was in Judges 
or First Chronicles, you know, stuff like that. So he said, you can tell where you've been spending your time over these few years, some years, by looking at the edge of your Bible. And I've always remembered that. I don't know how you do that digitally, and there's probably some kind of meta-memory thing you could look at to see where you've been reading. But I think that would be an interesting uh, exercise for a lot of people as to where their time is spent and what knowledge they do have. Kings and Chronicles and probably Nehemiah. And yeah, those books. We those, don't spend those, much time in those. Yeah, we don't spend much time there. And yet, Anything that has begats in it either. A lot of time. What's that? Those are your, those are your history books of Old Testament. Right. They're more Old difficult. Yeah. Uh, just out of curiosity, what translation do you read the most? Oh, um, the one I use for Bible study is the New American Standard Bible. Yeah, that's what my uh, wife uses. Out of the message, um, but I probably stick to maybe the New King James. It just depends. I read them all. Yeah, well, I would I would recommend, uh, and I do recommend one of the major translations that have been translated by groups of scholars like the King James, the New King James, the New American Standard, uh, the uh, ESV, American, English, the English American Stand Standard, 1901. The English Standard Version. Yeah, ESV, English. Now then, I, I would, if you're going to read something like the message, I'm just going to be big red flags and alarm bells because that is an absolute paraphrase. I'm not saying there's nothing of value there, but you have to be very cautious because it is a it's a paraphrase of somebody's opinion. So Today's be careful with it. If you can't catch on to what Jesus said by reading the message, then you so miss it because it is just so in your face for people who are very simple minded. Right. I love my King James. I do because I love English literature, so Shakespearean words and those things do not trip me up anymore. But I understand that the message is apex, but it's still accurately, if you could parallel it against King James or the New King James, you are going to see the same thing if you have an understanding of the work. It's only given by the Holy Spirit. It's why he's so vital. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think the message was given by the Holy Spirit. I think those other versions were, but I'm gonna say, you know, or the New Living, the the the, the New Living Bible, what it's called, some of the other ones from years ago. Be cautious about those because they are not they're they're paraphrases. But I'm not telling people don't ever use them. Well, anyway, it's interesting to uh, talk about that. And I, when I have a person who does is not familiar with the Bible and a young person for example, somebody new, they don't want, they don't know anything. I, I'm, I usually anymore don't recommend the King James, not because I don't like the King James, but because it's an extra layer they have to wade through the these and the thous and the whatnots and all those things right. makes an extra layer. But once you read it, it becomes very, it's a very powerful translation. Yeah. That's why it's lasted. That's why it stood the test of time. That's why I, when I, pro, I project scriptures, that 90% of what I put on our screen up here when I'm preaching and teaching is our scriptures, 
and they come out of the New King James Version, which is just kind of an updated English revision of the King James. It's easy to read, doesn't have the archaic language, and it's very close to the King James. And I also like my wife uses, as I mentioned, for years, the New American Standard Bible, NASB. Its first was done in the 60s. It's been updated. And she really likes that one well, a lot. And what, one thing I'd like to say is, and on several different occasions, not always, but on a few occasions where I've had some questions about how the text went, I would go to the Greek and Strong's, and I found, honestly, I found the King James and the American Standard to actually be closer to the Greek in some okay. local passages that I've been yeah. trying to stand. Yes, and and so it, and it just... Um, yeah, it's a matter of it's it's a matter of somewhat of choice, but it, you're right to read several, and then then take a look when you can at the Englishman's translations, as it were, or versions like Strong's and Vines and stuff that give you a way to look at what the original language, and then try to piece it together. Anyway, Laura, do you have any other questions? We appreciate you calling. Uh, no, comments. I have to, you know, enjoy it, but I would really love Dave. Christians and believers to step into their power and authority Jesus gave us, and he gave us, he gave us, was it Luke 10, 19? I think we are such a weak church. Well, and that's part of what's made the churches weaker is that they've gotten away from a textual understanding of the Bible and off into traditions, and then in the last generation, it all became focused on in just having a, a, an enjoyable worship experience and music concerts and things like that. Personal feel It fits the generation that we live in where everything is about my personal feelings. And so our worship has become about personal feelings rather than God and what he requires. And so, yes, over time, this has greatly weakened Christians' knowledge of the scriptures and weakened their, their spiritual strength. They don't have the strength to fight temptation because they don't have the word living in them. Uh, right. you, know, you know from Matthew 4, I'm sure you're well aware, Laura, in Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, every single time Satan put forth a temptation, he said, it is written. He goes back to the word and quotes the word and bases what his he based his strength to fight the temptation on the word. And um, we just don't have that anymore. We have our personal feelings about the word uh, and we don't really have any strength anymore. So it, it is a problem. I, I hope things are starting to change. There's some slight hints here and there that people are wanting to get back to something more substantial. But um, the devil likes nothing better than an age, an age, a generation of men who have built their lives on their, their own subjective feelings about things. So what becomes true is what you feel about it. And that's the only truth there is, what people feel about it. Of course, that's a fundamental lie that undergirds all of Western civilization right now. And that's why we're in trouble, because it's all about our feelings, not what's true but about what we feel. I could tell this 40-some years ago. I've got notes I've made in 
terms I've written, Laura, 40 some years ago, where I was criticizing this idea when I'd ask somebody, well, you know, what do you think about abortion? They would say, well, I feel such, such and such. And I said, your language is betraying you. Every question that you ask people about any subject, their only way they can respond is I feel this and I feel that. How do you feel about capital punishment? How do you feel about abortion? How do you feel about adultery? They don't say, well, I think this, I think that. And uh, so it's all on. And, and that well, Satan loves that situation where all we're going to do is base what's true based on our own feelings about it. This is could not be more perfect for him. Well, I got I got five. Which is why he's the master deceiver and the father of lies. Yes. Because not that you can't have feelings. God gave us feelings and emotions for a reason. I think basically to 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 deepen our understanding of him in his perfect timing. I honestly believe he will get to his people, you know, when he knows they'll receive them the most, which is why we go through things. Because most of the time in life, it's only until you're laying flat on your back that you look up. Right. And so, yeah, the Lord always has his 7,000. Uh, and it, it, that, that number's percentage varies from generation to generation. But uh, you won't get there by, based on how you feel about it. That's one, right. one, one point to make, Mike. Uh, I got five hits on uh, Have You Not Read? When I looked up It Is Written, it's almost 70 hits. And it's either. What's the last one? It is written. It is written. Oh, yes. Uh Jesus saying it is written and he makes a quote. Or in the the letters, Paul is saying it is written and he makes a quote. 70. Uh, Yeah. Almost 70 of those. Well, the psalmist says, I have hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against. I might not sin against. There it is. Now, that one is one that stuck with me my whole life. And I need to get kicked in the pants about that quite quite often, but there it is. When and so we, our generation, Laura. Well, I don't know how old you are. My generation, I'll say, uh, we we grew up on help me make it through the night rather than fl- the words from the Bible, flee fornication. We grew up on help me make it through the night. We, all those lyrics of those songs were in our hearts and not the Scripture, and therefore we grew up a generation that that uh, sinned against the Lord. Uh, and, and the young genera- younger generation is, uh, is very much in that, in that. They can quote all the rap songs look, and all looks, the YouTube videos, it but looks not, like there are not almost, the scriptures. Almost 35 or 40 of those that Jesus used the phrase, it is written. Four. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a lot of things like that. And that's, I, I, I'm going to let you close well, your show out with 10 minutes always a pleasure to speak with you but the basic things jesus said is to love god and love people love and forgiveness are our greatest tools yes i appreciate that laura thank you for calling we we are glad you're listening and tell your friends and hope that all of you will do that we appreciate your comments whether we agree or disagree we do we do thank you for calling so anyway, if anybody else wants to call in, the, the numbers are here in Port St. Lucie, 772-340-1590, 
772-1590 and 772. You can also text us two numbers, 772-260-6120. We have a text, too, we need to get to. Oh, yes, I do. And there's a, and John has texted uh, two or three times today, but, but um, he, we do have a text. So uh, let me give the two text numbers, 772-260-6120, 772-260-6220, or call 772-340-1590. Thank you for listening today, and we appreciate those who've called. Now, here's, John texted this in um, early, 1 Corinthians 15.3, one of Gary's recently favorite chapters, and we've talked about the resurrection several times. It's one of my favorite chapters. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.3 seems to have Paul saying that he got the story from somewhere and is simply repeating it. Now, earlier in the week, John said in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, he asked, did Paul see Judas? So let's read that passage. Let's start in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, and we'll read down to verse 5. Uh, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose the third day according to the scriptures, and he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, and then by the twelve. And after that he was seen over 500, by, over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James and by all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. So you have several groups of people that Paul says saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. This isn't talking about seeing Jesus before he was raised from the dead, but after he was raised to death. Now, I want to answer that first, the last question first. Yes, Paul is delivering what he received. It doesn't say he received it from the other apostles. In fact, Paul is very clear in Galatians 2 that he did not receive what he was preaching from the other apostles, but directly from Jesus. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, this is where I come in and say, you've got to compare not only the Corinthian letter when he says, I preach this gospel to you, but you've got to compare the Galatian letter in Galatians 1 and 6. He says, I marvel that you are so soon turning away to a different gospel, which is not another. And then he goes on to say that he got that gospel as a revelation from Jesus Christ. And you, yes, and you, so you see this phrase, like in 1 Corinthians 11, you see it, for I re- I'm giving you what I received, delivering from the Lord. So he's telling you other places that he received what he's teaching from the Lord. And I take that to mean directly from the Lord by revelation, like he said in Ephesians chapter 3, that I received by revelation that which I wrote down in a few words. So, yes, he, Paul is delivering this. This is the gospel. You have it in Romans 15, but you also have it here, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day 
and that he was seen by Cephas. So here is a synopsis of the gospel in one form, the um, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension of um, Christ. You find that in 1 Corinthians 15. And where he says it in Romans Yeah, is Galatians 1 and 11, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me according to is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came from the revelation of Jesus Christ. The implication is all of the gospel that he received, wherever he preached it, came by revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, see, this is, the, this is something that's sometimes overlooked about reading, especially First and Second Corinthians. The big issue with the Corinthians was that they had been, after Paul had gone there and established that church in Acts chapter 18, uh, you see that these te- Judaizing teachers came in later and tried to undermine his authority with these Christians. Now, these were mostly Gentile Christians who didn't have a strong background in the Old Testament. Some did, some didn't. And so they were trying to undermine Paul's authority because they thought Paul was teaching a gospel which diminished the Jews because he was teaching that Gentiles could be Christians without keeping the law. And so when so Paul Paul's apostleship was under attack all throughout his writings to the Corinthians and especially 2 Corinthians talks about that and so does the book of Galatians because it's about yes. the same issues. And he's trying to tell them, look, I'm not somebody who came along later and just heard this from one or two people. I was made an apostle by a personal direct appearance of the risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus as a child untimely born. And he gave me, when I went to Arabia after my baptism, he he gave me what I'm now preaching. It didn't come from the other apostles. I, I got it of my own from the Lord. And he's saying, just like they got it directly from God. He wasn't diminishing the other apostles. He was saying they got it directly from Christ, and I got it directly from Christ. That was his claim. Now then, as to whether he... Do you agree with that, Gary? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so we got two or three minutes left, but let's. He he says, um, he says here that he was seen by in verse five. He was seen after his resurrection by Peter or Cephas, and then by the twelve. And then it says later on he was seen by all the apostles in verse seven by James and all the apostles, and then last of all by me, one out of born out of due time. So if this is referring to events after Christ's resurrection and he's referring to the 12, I don't think that included Judas as part of the 12. I think the word the 12 is an idiom or an expression that just means the original apostles. Okay, there were 12 original apostles and then Judas killed himself before Christ's resurrection and then on Acts chapter 1, after Christ's ascension, the they, apostles appointed through the Holy Spirit Matthias to take that replacement. But they, they were still called the 12 or the 11 before that time. So I think the word the 12 is just an expression that stands for the original apostles. Now, Paul would be at least apostle number 13. Yeah. Okay. Some say there's 15 apostles, including Jesus Christ being one. And you can look. Here's the other problem with that word apostle. 
which we might see if we ever get to discuss this business of women preachers. The word apostle can mean just a one sent with a message. It doesn't mean a, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be an apostle of the church at Corinth and not be an apostle of Jesus Christ. There are two different usages of that word of one who is sent. Yeah, Paul, make, Paul makes reference to his appearance to him as he was personally sent by Jesus Christ. Yes, which with a, with a commission which to was, preach, which right. was just like Peter and John and and the other original apostles that we. Saw. So my my answer to that would be yes, the twelve is something that was more of an idiom for the original apostles. I think there it says in it says in Acts one that Peter stood up with the eleven, so there was twelve eleven plus him with the eleven. Even and that's after Matthias had been appointed. Well, our time is gone this morning. We really appreciate you <laughs> listening. Thanks for calling the questions in, texting them in. Thanks for listening. Take a look at our website. We are just Christians.com. We are just Christians.com. You can get recordings of this show going way back, as well as sermons from the church, other information, other Bible study resources. We are just Christians.com. And we'd like to invite you to take a look at, at um Come and visit us at 2196 Southwest Savona. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. WPSL Port St. Lucie.